Listener Production. Hello and welcome to Willow Talk. Great to have your company again. Adam Peacock alongside Brad Haddon. As always, Hads, how are you? I'm excited today. Um, You're excited every episode. Mate, I'm really excited today because we've got a special guest. I'm a little bit nervous as well because his time as Australian selector, we, we used to get hold of his card a bit, um, his Cricket Australia card at the, at the bar now and then. So he, he might get me back for that, but uh, it's going to be an exciting show. Yep, the 35th, the 35th men's test captain of Australia. Greg Chappell is with us today. Greg, thank you so much for being a part of Willow Talk and um, now's your time to retort against him <laughs> putting a hole in your uh, your expenses. No, nice to be here, Adam, and always good to see Brad. Um, no, we I think we, we didn't punish the card too much. I don't think we went over the top. I never heard any complaints from James Sutherland or anyone else. So I think we did all right. Mate, well, uh, you know, they talk about being a senior player. I, mm. I think the one thing you need to know is is what people on tour have the Cricket Australia cards. <laughs> then you know you're a senior player because you're going down to the bar or the managers use his a lot. The coach, uh, he's too tight. Well, Buffer was too tight. He's never <laughs> come out. You just got to know when to get the card in the bar. Then you're a senior player. Keepers. <laughs> always thinking, aren't they? They're always thinking. They, they were always the smart ones in a, in a cricket yeah. team and they That's had to be pretty, pretty smart. Yeah, well, it is debatable because, I mean, why would you want to do it unless you, you know, you <laughs> at least could bat. I mean, you know, not every keeper has the... Ability to get some runs. That, that, that's debatable. I like to move the game forward to cover up that you were scared. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get rolling with all our subjects, and I'll get to yeah. it in a moment, the rundown, but what was the first thing you thought of when you saw this guy? Because you had oh, no. I mean, you, I can name anyone in the last 30 years, 40 years <laughs> in Australian cricket from what you saw through your own eyes. What about young Bradley over here? Yeah, I mean, he, he stood out in, in, a, in a crowd um, because he could bat as well as keep, mm. keep wickets. Strong, solid not in, in the physical sense, but solid in, in emotional and mental sense. Everyone's going to make mistakes. The difficulty is dealing with those mistakes and you, you're looking for the, the sort of guys that you reckon can handle everything that's going to be thrown at them. The life of a professional sportsman is not that easy. The easy part is playing the game, but yeah. the stuff that happens to you around that, you know, being in a, in a team sport, at least you've got some teammates around, but you're on your own a lot and you're away from your support system quite a bit. Not everyone can deal with it. And, you know, so you you need not only those that can play, but those that can deal with the situation. And Brad was always someone who you, you had great confidence in, could well, handle that. Well, his after hours activity, from what I've heard by doing this podcast with him, he, he found some friends, especially <laughs> downstairs in the hotel lobby. Well, a, a normal, I, I was very, very lucky in my career. So Steve Rickson was, was my coach early at yeah. New South Wales. So I had an ally there at the bar. Then when I went to the Australian team, Rod Marsh spent most of the time <laughs> <laughs> on our Australian A tours, um, our academy time. Our, our academy time was when I really knew what it meant to be an Australian wicketkeeper. The, the fast bowlers got hammered, the the batters got hit with bounces in the nets or in the drills, and, and, and the keepers just had a really, really good time with Rodney. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Shock horror. <laughs> you, you had some good, uh, good, good coaches and some good mentors then in, in yep. the early days. And uh, look, I think Without being ridiculous, you know, I mean, you certainly never overdid it, yep. but to be able to relax and get away from cricket yep. from time to time is really important. Mm. The guys that lock themselves in their room and think only cricket, 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 they, they're going to run into problems. 
fair enough. So today on this episode of Willow Talk, we'll uh, we'll chat to our guest, of course, Greg, about his life in Australian cricket, uh, pick his brain about some of the biggest names in world cricket, and hear about your great charitable work. Uh, the Chapel Foundation had a big dinner last night in Sydney, so we'll get into that as well. And remember, you can listen to Willow Talk for free on the Listener app, and if you're listening on Apple Podcast or Spotify, give us a rating, please leave a review, tell your friends, all of that. It does really help. But top of the order has just quickly the third one, Dale. Well, little touch-up for the Australians over there, even though, okay, South Africa well over 300, first time they got going with the bat in this series, and we got going with the bat again. Dave Warner, good signs once more, but collapso, wow. Yeah, I, I tell you, I don't like the result of the game, but I, I enjoy what's going on. You've got guys like Tambi Sanger, Nathan Ellis, Sean Abbott, and that start in their careers. So mm. it's good that they start to play under pressure. We, we've seen in a few of the, the 2020 games, they're winning by nine wickets, 120 runs. We're, we're leading into a World Cup year or a World Cup in a month away. Mm. So you, you've got to find out what these guys can do under pressure. You've got David Warner's come back, and he's come back with a, an aggressive mindset again, which is really good for the – uh, team going into that World Cup, but Sean Abbott might play a role. He he might play a role in a in a group game. One of the quicks go down. The wickets might change, and we've got to see what they do under pressure. Mm. Not we're in front of the game all the time when they have to aim up. So the results disappointing, but from a point of view of preparation for a World Cup, I, I don't mind this. And blending the new with the established, Greg, are they doing that well with this one day squad? Yeah, I think I think you've got to take your opportunities to experiment a little bit. I mean, that was one of the great things about selecting uh, teams was to take the opportunities because no team is a finished product. And if you get to the point where you think it's a finished product, you're going to run into problems because the opposition are always trying to improve. Mm. If you're just coasting, you you will run into, you know, you, you'll cop it at some, some point. So I think it's important that you get your ben- bench strength as strong and you understand what who can do what. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and put them in some of the situations that they're, they're likely to be in when they do come into the team. So I think it's the only way to go. Really good signs against from from David Warner. I mean, if you've seen the dismissal, you know what I'm talking about when I say it was unique, <laughs> to say the least. Have you ever blown a shoe and got run out? No, I haven't, but I have seen it happen before. <laughs> Um, Phil Jakes did it just before the 2007 World Cup. We're in Malaysia and he, he ran out of his shoes. And David could have run out of him because of how powerful he is um, mm. pace-wise. Jakes, he didn't run out of his <laughs> shoes. Well, i tell you a funny story about um, cricket shoes. I know it's off the beaten track a little bit, but Steve Smith, when he first started, um, I remember he came into the, the change room. He's only 18 or maybe even 17. And he, he came up to the older players and he's, he's hitting the bat, looking at the gloves, and, and he tried my shoes on. And he goes, oh, Hads, I'd like a pair of them. I said, yeah, yeah, take them. He, he said, oh, I'm the same size. I said, size nine. And he goes, nah, I, I'm size 12. These fit me though. Anyway, he went back to his shoes. His dad was still buying him shoes. And, and you know, because he was so young, you know, when your dad buys your shoes as a 16-year-old, yeah. he wants them to still fit yeah, for two years. Yeah, yeah. So he was playing shield <laughs> cricket with shoes three times. Brought a McDonald's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he didn't know that till he tried mine. He goes, oh, what are you, 12? I said, no, nah, nine. <laughs> <laughs> I can see Steve Smith's dad's yeah. point of view. Ah, I yeah. thought he might have been buying them at the kids' kids <laughs> shop, and they were size twelve for the kids. <laughs> it might be the case. <laughs> Dave Warner, yeah, where he's at with his career, and obviously gearing up for a one last Test summer. But I mean, all of a sudden, he's just lit it up over there in South Africa. You surprised? I'm not surprised. What I'm surprised about is that he got away from doing what he does so well. Mm. And what he's doing at the moment, he's looking to play shots and looking to move the game forward. That's Davey Warner. I I saw in England, and even before that, 
he was trying not to get out. And when you try not to get out, even if you succeed, you don't score mm. any runs because you don't pick off the less than bad balls. Yep. When he's looking to score runs, his feet are moving, he gets into good position to score runs, but he also gets into good positions to defend or let the ball go. Mm. And what he wasn't doing before was getting into good positions. So it was difficult for him to defend and he wasn't knowing which ones to let go because he didn't really know where his stumps are. So if this is the new mindset, I, you know, he can uh, he can be successful mm. for quite a bit longer. Yes. Staying on, David Warner, you, you were very strong when he first came in. A, a mm-hmm. lot of people pigeonholed him. Oh, no, he's a, he's a white ball cricketer. And you were one that said, no, 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 this bloke can play all three mm-hmm. forms of the game. What, what did you see in David that others maybe didn't? Well, that, the, the fact yeah. that his feet were moving, he yeah. picked up length really yeah. well. He hit gaps. You know, he, he, he didn't hit the ball continually to fielders. You know, you'd see a lot of kids who look good, but they just hit ball after ball to fielders. Davey just hit gaps. Yeah. And he could hit boundaries and he could clear boundaries. He had shots all around the wicket. He was hard to bowl to. Mm. And he's quite intimidating. I remember talking to um, uh, Verenda Saywag years ago about uh, – Verenda was never totally comfortable with fast bowlers and, uh, you know, we were having the conversation and I said to him, you're not really comfortable. We were playing in South Africa and Donald yeah. was was bowling oh, and, and was a damn good bowler and, yeah. and not many people felt comfortable with Donald. And I said, you don't feel very comfortable with him, do you? And, uh, he said, and he always spoke in the third uh, third person. He said, Savag never doesn't like fast bowlers, but fast bowlers don't like Savag. And he was right. I mean, yeah. he intimidated them because they knew if they missed their mark, yeah, and they didn't have missed by much, he'd punish them. And same with Davy. You yeah. know, they could bowl a good ball. They could bowl their best ball and see it disappear back over their head. Yeah, and that puts the bowler on notice. And I think that's where Davey got got away from it. But, you know, as a kid, Davey didn't open. I mean, I no. saw him in youth cricket yeah. batting at six. You know, he was yeah. an all-rounder, bowled yeah. leg spinners and, and batted. And often the team was in trouble. Davey would come in and get yeah. runs and get them out of trouble and get a wicket when they, they yeah. needed a wicket as well. Again, you could just see he he understood the game. Yeah. He had the ability to move the game forward. You know, you've got a bat in your hand for one reason and one mm. reason alone, score runs. Yep. And that's what Davey did. The one thing, and I played a lot of my uh, junior, oh, um, great cricket with Davey, yeah. but the one thing I liked about him, one, he was a rascal, but mm. to me, rascals win your comps. And, and what you said just there, they'll walk into the fire. Mm. Like you'll be five for 50 and everyone go, oh, how are we going to get out of this? And Davey will go, well, I'll get us out of it. Mm. And you go bang, 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 and you'll change momentum in the game. That's the big thing i seen with Davey. It was the biggest rascal you played with. Oh, this we've only got an hour. <laughs> <laughs> there, there were a few. We we had a side of you know with a few rascals, and and Hads is right. You know you want rascals, yeah. but you, you, I mean, they don't want to be bad people. No, and David no. was never a bad person. No. He was a nuisance at times, and he was like a <laughs> bloody mosquito or a moth. Really, if there was a light on, Davy had to go and see what was going on. Uh. And if you were his roommate, he was a pest, but <laughs> never in a, in a bad way. And that, that's what you want. I mean, you know, we had, um, you know, Doug Walters, um, yeah. you know, Doug was a nuisance. He was always laying little traps and playing little tricks and <laughs> things like that. But at the time when things got tight, you needed someone who was going to lighten the, the atmosphere a little bit and just remind you that it's just a game Yeah, yeah. at the end of the, end of the day. And I think you know, as I say, Brad's right, that you need a few rascals and you don't want the goody two-shoes. You can have a few of them, but you can't have a team full of them. You mm. can't have a team full of rascals either. So you need players who can play, but if a few of them have got a little bit of the 
sense of the ridiculous or they, you know, just want to push the boundaries a bit. Mm. They're the sort of players you want around because they're the ones that have confidence in themselves and they can see how they can make a difference. Yeah. They can see how they can make runs or take wickets no matter how tough it is. And that's what you want. Or go out at 2am and find a bourbon and coke out of nowhere like David did on a few tours that you went. <laughs> Someone's <laughs> got to look after the young kids. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> hey, um, Greg, just before we move on to a bit about yourself and, and your overall career in Australian cricket, and as I said, we could go four hours here, but the World Cup, just back to what we were talking about before about the one day and we've got a live series over there in South Africa, which is great for that series. But Australia on track to win a World Cup here, in your opinion? Australia can win it. Um, mm. I, you know, I think, as always, there are probably four or five teams that could win it. It's in the subcontinent, so the subcontinental teams will have an advantage because it is different. But our players play a lot in the subcontinent now, so they understand the conditions and uh, they play a lot in India. So, you know, you need some luck <clears throat> to yeah. win it. India probably starts favourite. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you can't write Pakistan off. You can't write England off. Uh, New Zealand are always, uh, they're sneaky, you know, they, mm. they are always punching above their weight. So it, it's wide open, but, you know, at the end of the day, I think India, England, Australia, mm. probably my three teams. Well, India gave uh, Pakistan a touch up on that two day, one day in the yeah. Asia Cup the other day. And uh, yeah, Coley and uh, Kale Rowell looked mm. awesome with the they could have batted for another four days, the way that they were uh, trucking along. Um, Greg, to, to yourself, so 87 tests, 2400s, first Aussie to 7,000 test runs, which is a fantastic thing to have on your resume, but your your whole life basically has been cricket. Are you satisfied about, okay, you, you hear of players like Hads and, you know, what are they going to do when they retire? What about your life post-retirement and what you've accomplished, achieved, got up to in that time? You happy with it? Yeah, I mean, you do the best you can. And, you know, I don't think I would have done too much different. You know, I didn't expect to get into coaching. I wasn't, it wasn't a sort of career goal of, of mine, if you like. <clears throat> and when I got the offer to go to back to South Australia and do some coaching, my initial response was, no, I don't want to do it. Mm. But I didn't want to tell the, the guys that were, you know, Jack Clark yeah. uh, was one, Trevor Robertson. You know, they're lovely people. And I, I didn't want to say to their face, no, you can jam the job. <laughs> um, I, I sort of said to them, well, look, let me think about it and I'll come back to you. That was, this was a Sunday. I'll come back to you on Wednesday. And I went away fully expecting Wednesday. I'd just pick up the phone and say, look, thanks all the same. But no, thanks. And on Tuesday night, my wife, Judy, said to me, have you thought about it? And I said, oh, no, I'm just going to pick up the phone. She said, no, you told him you'd think about it. Probably, you know, (laughs) sensible to have a bit of a think about it. So we sat down at the the kitchen table with a full scap pad and we wrote the pros and cons down. Mm. And I was surprised at how many pros there were and how few cons there were. And Judy may regret that she suggested (laughs) I do that because it's been nonstop ever since. But I actually enjoyed coaching a lot more than I expected to uh, or thought I could. Playing is always the best because, you know, that way you can make a, a real difference. But mm. looking at it with an overview of the team and with each individual and so on, I mean, that was challenging and enjoyable um, in itself. And then, you know, the selecting side of it, you know, I had three cracks at, the, at that. And I quite enjoyed that as well. And you're really emotionally involved as a coach and a selector. You, you pick Brad Haddon, so you want to see him do well. So you're sort of on the edge of your seat watching how they're, how they're going. So you're well and truly involved in, in the game. 
And again, I got a lot more satisfaction out of it than I thought I would. Working in our development programs was a great deal of mm. fun. Working yeah. with the next generation, they're all good players. They're all good kids. You're having a good time and you're hopefully passing on some mm. some useful information or guiding them in, in, in a way. And, you know, the thing that I learned when you start coaching, you start, you've got all this information, you know, all this intellectual property. You want to download it as quickly as you can, thinking that that's going to help. And you realize that all it does is overwhelm individuals. So you've got to pull back and you've actually got to come down to where they're at. Yep. It's no good, you know, being a university professor and talking to a, you know, third grader as though they understand what you're talking about because they don't. Yeah. And they haven't had the chance to learn mm. what they need. So you've actually got to come down to their level and, and try and work work up with them. And that that was was good fun. I mean, mm. I, I can remember the the day exactly that I realized that I got to stop talking. Mm. I was talking to a young batsman who was in the nets and we'd sort of talked about a few things and he went to the nets and it wasn't working and he was getting frustrated. And I stopped the bowlers and I walked down the net and when I got about this close to <laughs> to him, you know, I got about a meter away and I could see the look in his eyes. It was like, oh, what's he got for me now? <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, you know what? Yeah. I got to give this kid a break. I said, mate, you're going really well. Just keep it up. Just relax. Have a bit of fun with it. And, and I got the hell out of there and I never stopped another... <laughs> Session after that because I realised that I wasn't helping. Self-regulate. You went from South Australia to, to India. Mm -hmm. uh, do you enjoy your time there? Would you yeah, change yeah. anything? Oh, yeah, I'd change um, a lot of it. But I knew that it was a challenge. Yeah. You know, going over there, India was really just emerging as the, the cricket powerhouse. And if I couldn't work in Australia, then that was probably the next yeah. best opportunity. I had a chance to go to the West Indies and I had a chance to go to Sri Lanka, but I chose to go to yeah. India and and I did enjoy it, working with some of the best yeah. cricketers in, in the world. It was full of challenges and yeah. there were a lot of things that I, you know, I probably should have known more about before I went that I, that I wasn't as quite as aware of, just some of the um, personalities and, and so on. And the challenges from a playing point of view in India, just imagine, I mean, there must, must be millions of kids that are playing cricket. Yeah. And I saw hundreds of thousands of them who could play really well. Yeah. And there are only 11 can play for India. I don't know how they do that. Well, I don't, I don't know, know how they, they do it either. It down. You know, they do a pretty good job of it. it it's almost self-selected because these kids can yep. play. I mean, they're all, mm. they're all good players. And I, after India, after the Indian team, I worked in uh, Jaipur with Rajasthan cricket yep. for 18 months. We took the best kids from the 23 districts around yep. uh, Rajasthan. We got the best 20 kids and they came down to Jaipur and we sort of whittled them down to the top three or four from each yeah. region. We finished up with 50 kids. We're all superstars. And half of them never got to play under 19 cricket for Rajasthan, let alone yeah. first class cricket. That's insane. And I mean, I yeah. still talk to a few of them, you know, by text message and whatever today. And, um, you know, some of them never, ever got to play for Rajasthan. I would love to have brought them back here and they would have played first class cricket in Australia. Yeah. But... The, the challenges, there was too much politics. Yeah. Too you many. You couldn't just coach, could you? No, you there were too many people involved. And, you know, you're constantly sort of being interfered with, you know, from a selection point of view. The, you, you had the, the um, four or five, four selectors, but you then had the people who picked the selectors who thought they could influence the selectors. <laughs> the selectors of the selectors. <laughs> yeah, they were the selectors of the selectors. Did they and have they selectors? Thought, 
Yeah, well, their, their chairman <laughs> thought, you know, and even the, the chairman of the BCCI got involved in selection at different times. Oh, and it was goodness. just really difficult just to focus on yeah. the, the the job at hand. But I learned so much. And yeah. I mean, it was a, it's a, just an amazing country. Uh, amazing. And, yeah. With um, T20 franchise cricket, which has kind of ex- exploded worldwide, but the, the centre of it all has been um, the implementation of the IPL. Can you see similarities now with the changing face of cricket to World Series cricket in terms of this will have a material effect like few other instances in the history of the game that we're experiencing right now and we don't know how it's all going to fall out? We certainly don't know how it's going to, to fall out. Well, we, we, sort of, we sort of do know. I think the T20 franchise model is going to go around the world and it's already gone to some degree. But, you know, in the US now, that, that's sort of a quasi-India yeah. So many expats. Yeah, the US has is the second highest television uh, income Mm. in the world in the cricket world. So that's because there are so many from the subcontinent who live in that part of the world. You know, the TV rights for cricket in in that part of the world are Mm. are through the roof um, because they want they want cricket. So it'll be T Twenty cricket that gets into the US. Mm -hmm. Every other country wants to have their own competition. It's going to be really hard because once, you know, when India decide that they are doing something, then that pretty much shuts everyone else out. So Is that you, good for cricket? Not necessarily. I mean, it's going to have to be, you know, then this is the, the challenge. Will India care? Maybe not. You know, they yeah. just, this is good for us. That's all we're worried about. Mm. I mean, I remember when I was in India, some of the board members, you know, talking about the IPL that, you know, we can just run our own race without the rest of the world. And I said, well, you might be surprised that, you know, you need the, the rest of the world. You'll be looking for players from other parts of the world. But to a large degree, they could pretty much do it on their own. Mm. You know, if they divided into, you know, the different ethnic groups within India, they could have the five best cricket playing teams in the world in all formats. Mm. And their development program, because they've got the numbers, 11 players is not going to be hard to find. They're always going mm. to have 11 good players because um, that's just what will fall out of just playing cricket. And the one thing they've done well over there is that they've got the kids playing. Mm. They're not just putting them in the nets and leaving yeah. them in the nets. They've got an under-16 Ranji trophy that mirrors the the seniors. Mm. So these kids from 14, 15 years of age are playing full-time cricket or, you know, playing a lot of cricket. I remember we, we played a World Cup in – <clears throat> under 19 World Cup up in Townsville, 2012. I think that was Pat Cummins' yeah. year. Then, and he 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 didn't get to play in the under 19 World Cup because he was already playing <laughs> Test cricket. But you know, there was a young lad in in that uh, Indian side who was a was a good player. But I wasn't sure that you know he might have had a couple of kids stashed away at home somewhere. And you know, uh, he he didn't look like he was under 19 to me. But he was a good player. And I I said to him, you know, what about schoolwork do you do any schoolwork and he said no no he said i get one chance at cricket yeah you know i can go back to school anytime but this is my one and only chance and i've got to make the most of it and he's never played for india so it, it didn't quite work out for him so maybe he has yeah. gone back to school but well, uh, now he's looking after his grandkids yeah. well that's, on, so, uh, yeah. that's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just make sure sam our producer my, my son doesn't hear that <laughs> my oldest boy. so we'll, we'll cut that bit out we'll come back <laughs> yeah. to it later do not listen but to another you, thing you're always very um strong on if you're old enough you're good enough mm. and to, to get these guys playing cricket and the best place to learn 
is out there in the middle. The only place to learn. Yep. You know, that, that's where you, you come up against all of the experiences that you, you need and the situations that you're going to find yourself in. Yeah, look, the other, the other thing you know, about being old enough, if you're old enough or good enough, you're old enough, is that if you leave somebody who is competent at a level at which they're competent for too long, they go backwards. Mm. Yeah. Because you adapt to that level. Yeah. So if you want someone to continue to develop, you've got to keep pushing them forward and keep the challenges coming. Otherwise, they will they will go stale. What about leadership? What's the the a moment or moments that you learnt the most? Because you're leading a group of men mm-hmm. and you're the figurehead, but at the same time, you're still learning about things that mm. evolve. What's the the one instance where you can take away and go, "Geez, I learnt a lot about myself." Not so much as a cricketer, just as a mm. person in that instance when you're, when you're leading because there's a heap of pressure. Yeah, look, I think every day you, you're learning, but the losses are the biggest teachers of, you know, the experiences that you, you need. When, you, when you're on the losing side, you get to, you know, find out how, how did you handle it mm. and what did you learn from it. Sometimes you didn't, didn't handle it all that well. I mean, one, one of the, the things that I learned, and thankfully probably before I got to, to be a captain just from – the other captains that I, I played under and not least of all my older brother being there as well and being so so close to it was that communication is is really important. If the players know where everything's at, know what their job is, and you don't have to be a superstar, you don't have to do anything extraordinary, just do your job. Yeah. Just go out there and get runs, take wickets, well, bowl well, bat well. Some days you don't get wickets, you might bowl really well and other days you don't bowl quite so well, but you get five wickets. But then, you know, as the leader, you've got to be careful because there are times when you've got no idea. You've run out of options. You've run out of ideas. Well, you're standing there on a 40 degree day and you're going, going what am I going to do now? At least look like you know what you're doing because <laughs> if, if, you throw, if you turn the toes up, you can guarantee it's, it's like a disease. It'll go straight yeah. through the rest of the group. You know, they're looking at you and if you all of a sudden look lost, <laughs> and you know, throw the hands up. They're gone. They're, they're going down faster than than you. So there are days when you've just got to pretend that you you, you know yeah. what you're doing and just hope that the the moves are, are going to work out. And I think the lesson that you learn is that it's continuing to do the basics well. Mm. You know, so as a captain, as a player, as a team, if we just keep doing our job and keep doing things well, we won't win every game, but we'll win more than our share. Yeah. Mm. It was like Captain Stephen O'Keefe. Mm. I remember at times you, on a you were captaining him. Yeah. Jeez, that's a role. Mate, it, it was interesting. He didn't turn the ball a lot. And mm. he said, oh, what are we going to do here? We're going to do this. I said, you're not going to change, but I've got to get them to think that you turn the ball. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? I said, well, I've got to move these fields and change a few angles there. He said, what do you want me to do? I said, well, you're not going to turn it, but we need these two to think that you're going to turn it. <laughs> and he, be- he became enjoyable to captain. In the end, it's he, about to start to blow up. You move, he goes, ah, I've got to get them to think I turn it, don't I? And go, don't change. That's it. And look, at the end of the day, it's not a difficult game. It's not an easy game, but it's not complicated. Often I would say as a captain, more particularly as a coach to the bowlers, good balls, good overs, good spells. That's all Mm. you've got to do. Mm. Don't get caught up. Don't panic. Just keep bowling good balls, good overs, good spells. At the end of the day, you'll have some reward, whether it's wickets or you'll have done your job. And someone else on that day has picked up picked up the wickets. Speaking of doing your job, you had three stints at Australian selection. Mm-hmm. Enjoyed it? 
Yeah, look, you know, again, there there are yeah. always challenges and and always mistakes, and and not every decision you make pleases everybody. Yeah. Um, you know, there are there are going to be times when um, players are upset that either they're not selected or yeah. then whatever, whatever. I think all you can do is try and do the best job you can do, um, you know, try and put the best team on the field, and sometimes players have got to understand their time's up. But the interesting thing I've seen, I've seen selection in my time change a lot. We had obviously GC, you had Rodney, uh, you had Trevor Hones, and a lot of the selectors stayed away. That they stayed away from the team. They come and make make. Yes, this is a, uh, eleven. Apart from when you needed his credit card. Yeah, but that's different. Yeah, yeah. That's, you're talking about cricket time. Yeah, yeah. and that relaxing time. GC yeah. said at the start, we all need that. Otherwise, <laughs> our heads go. I see a lot with selections now that mm. I don't know it's a modern way, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but they're, they're involved in warm-up. They're in the change room all the time. You, you see them sitting next to players during the game. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure whether that model works. I'm, I'm not a fan yeah. because I've, I've seen it blow up. Um, yeah. you, you, I, look, I was lucky I worked under you know three different uh, chairmen of selectors, you yeah. know, Laurie Saul uh, at first yeah. from Western Australia. Laurie was – very detached from the team, but having been an educator and, you know, in the education department, he understood young men yeah. and, you know, he could read from a distance, you know, yeah. what their personalities were like. He didn't need to be in the yeah. the dressing room. Trevor Holmes, you mentioned, I think, you know, Trevor was fantastic. Yeah, I job. really think he did a great job as uh, on two occasions yeah. as chairman. And Andrew Hilditch, and I think Andrew yeah. was was very good. Probably didn't get the credit that uh, that he deserved, really. Because he, you know, he didn't like talking to the the media, and, yeah. and nobody really no. does. You know, it's not the part of the job that you do it for. Yeah, they have to front up, and you've got twenty four million selectors in Australia. Well, you that, have to front up and explain that, yourself. That's yeah. the problem, and sometimes explaining yourself can only get you into into trouble. Yeah, you know, because it doesn't make sense to someone who's on the outside. So the ones that you know, when I, where I've seen it go wrong is when you know the chairman of selectors or a selector gets inside the bubble. Yeah. And only hears the talk inside the bubble. Yeah. I mean, one of the the things I've always said, you know, because I was a selector for a, at least one season when I was captain. Yeah. And it wasn't right. Okay. Because you're, up until that point, they always came to you and got your yeah. input your and then went away and, mm. and picked the team. And yeah. that was the way it should have been. Yeah. Because you needed to be seen at arm's length. And I won't mention names, but I can remember one point where we dropped somebody I fought really hard to keep him, but I lost the argument. Yep. And you walk out and it's it's a universal decision, unanimous, and, you know, you walk out. But a few weeks later, we picked him back in the team. And I could see him looking over his shoulder thinking, when are you going to dud me again? Yeah. There's no point trying to explain to them that I'd argued his case, <laughs> but I'd, I'd lost the argument. Yeah. And I, that was no good. And, you know, I explained to the, the cricket board at the time, look, no selector – with any common sense, is going to continually give the captain players he doesn't want. Yeah. There might be times when you have to say, no, this is yeah. what's best for the team and you, you've got to put up with it. But if you're continually sending the captain out there with blokes he's not happy with, it's not going to work. No. So there's got to be that balance. But that's why I always thought you needed an independent selector, at least that was arm's length from from the team who could say, no, no, I think we've, we've got to go this way. Yeah. Because if you're constantly in the dressing room and, and you're constantly having that conversation with coaches and players, you're not connected to the community. I mean, the, the thing as a selector, 
I found out what people thought when I went to the golf club. And, you know, I would cop it from, you know, the, yeah. the, from the, the punters and saying, why are you picking this bloke? Why are the team doing this? Why is that going? For Christ's sake, you know, just, <laughs> let me, let me I'm here to play golf, just <laughs> leave, leave me alone. But but it was good to have that connection to get the feeling of what was going on in the community. Yeah. yeah. And I think that was one of the problems with Sandpaper Gate. The, the yeah. players and, and, the, and the selectors and the yeah. coaches weren't really aware that at the at that moment they were on the nose with the Australian public and that's why the board felt they had to go the way they did with Steve and, and with yep. Davey. And you can lose track of what's going on in the real world if you're in that bubble too long. Did you ever cop the call from the – I don't know if selectors actually make the call and say this is why or you just – you cop yep. a line through your name and you well, go, well, work it out for yourself. Nah, well, well, every player has that at some time. The great Ricky Ponyan and guys like that, Matthew Hayden, they've all been dropped. Yeah. But I, I tell you – Though sometimes when the selectors tap on the door to have the chat, you go, oh, thank Christ. I've been waiting for this. <laughs> like, aren't they? Like, sometimes yeah. you know and you're just trying to hold on. And, and you spoke a bit about it at the start about Davey trying to survive mm. rather than take the game on. Mm. And, and you can feel yourself sometimes in that quicksand. Mm. And once you get dropped, you go, oh, no, I don't like you. This is bullshit. Then he walks out the door. You go, oh, how good's that? <laughs> <laughs> like, don't, taking you, a load off. Yeah, yeah, take the load off. Then you go away. You have a look at your um, your form or your technique. Is it a mindset change? Is it? Then you start to develop your game. Then you come back mm. and you think, oh, gosh, I can't believe they didn't drop me months before. Mm. But sometimes as a player, it's a relief when you get dropped. Yeah, I'm waiting for my wife to walk in sometimes and go, listen, you've been dropped. <laughs> Work on your game. Come yeah. back to me in two months and then you can you reestablish yourself as part of this relationship. Anyway, hasn't happened yet. Yeah, that's a different show. Yeah, yeah that's that is another room. <laughs> and you've got to lay down and say that's that one. a different <laughs> <laughs> On the couch. I just want to ask about the hats quickly, mm. Greg. So I'm intrigued because your autograph was on a stack of Grey Nick bats, mm -hmm. the hats, the which scoop. you sold first. Well, like one and a half million or something mm. like that. Yeah, something. I want to know. You had the most famous autograph potentially in Australian sporting history. Did you ever get subject of counterfeit or anything like that, <laughs> <laughs> or did you have a different signature personally that you used to sign checks with, as opposed oh, to? Oh, I had a bank. Trick? I had a bank signature for the for the checks. Yeah, good, yeah, they, 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 they were separate. Intrigued about <laughs> no, no, that no. because. Man, it was everywhere. <laughs> it was everywhere. You got a bad mind. Every yeah. oh, I know, I oh, know, it's weird. But every kid, like when I was playing, yeah. you were playing as well. Everyone, every at least every weekend, every game, there was at least three or four, if not the whole team, wearing those hats. So you did a great thing for Suncare, firstly, but yeah, well, incredible. It, it was quite an interesting story. I still wear it playing golf and I copped plenty for having a signature on the hat, <laughs> either, by the way. I was, was going to nick it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I said. I was taught as a kid, mum always said, put your name yeah. on your clothes. Yeah. That way you don't lose them. <laughs> yeah. So I've got them on my hat. Took it literally. Yeah. <laughs> but it was hard because we had the we had the baggy green yep. or your state cap and that that was it. There were no helmets. So, uh, And there was the the – Washing hat, you know, the um, Terry oh, the Towel on the Hill hat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's it, yeah. <laughs> and, and they were useless because they just, all they did was hang down in front of your eyes and they'd flap around a bit. I went to Pakistan years ago on a tour and, and um, Majid Khan had a, a bucket hat, mm -hmm. basically, which was like the chapel hat with a smaller brim. And I thought, that's a good idea. I like that. So I, I threw all my cricket gear away at the end of the, the mm. tour and I loaded my coffin up with, with these bucket hats and, yeah. I, and I brought them. But I thought, well, that'll get me through the rest of my career. And then one day I was here in, in Sydney. I went out to the um, Albion Hat and Cat Company just to go and see the guys for what – I can't remember what I was doing there. 
And I just said to the, I had one of the hats, we'd just been at training at the, at the SCG and I had one of the hats with me and I said, can you blokes make something like this? Mm. They said, yeah. I said, with, with a bigger brim? Mm. Yeah, yeah, no problem. On a handshake, that was it. You know, we started the chapel hat and, um, you know, they, they kept manufacturing for, for years. It's a, it's a double canvas, so it doesn't flop. Yep. Uh, I hate it when someone calls it a floppy hat because it's not a floppy hat. It's an anti-flop hat. Mm. They sold the business and the next group kept making the, the chapel hat and then, then, then the business was sold again. And by that stage, they'd started putting the Albion logo on, on the hat and they slowly got the idea that it was an Albion yeah. hat and they just dropped the, the nah, signature off. Nah, and then, still the Greek chapel hat. Warney uh, loved them. Because yeah, Warnie, Warnie, Warnie Warnie never liked the baggy green because nah. it would dip like his hair and, you know, yeah, Stephen Martin. It. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the opposite. Yeah. And then the, so he used to wear it but not really put it on his head. Yeah. But he, he got the, the, the size down and everything. They're a great look. It's yeah. iconic as part well, of Australian the, the Greg Chapel Cricket Centre has taken over and, and makes the hat. We've gone back to the original manufacturer, funnily enough. Still um, out there. So really? It's still out. We don't sell quite as many as we used to but, uh, hey, yeah, had a good run. We had a, we had a very good run. <laughs> I, you know, I, I – do you have one hat? You ever keeping it? I never kept you one. Yeah. No. Um, keepers, it, it was an unwritten rule. You were a pop collar guy, weren't no, you? No, I didn't put my collar up. Um, it was an unwritten rule that you, you didn't wear your floppy hat when yeah. you kept and you had long sleeve. Yeah. Okay. So guys like Healy and that, if I had a short sleeve shirt on or Ooh. a floppy, that, that wouldn't talk to you again. <laughs> you'd, you'd drop from the, <laughs> yeah. from the keepers reunion. Yes. We're going to continue the conversation. We'll be back in a sec. Uh, Greg, just some memories, if you could, of of certain names. It has it was a recent edition of Willow Talk that yeah. you came up with something. I quite like it. It's just like pluck some names and then get our guests to just first thing into their heads about the yeah, names well, you, that you, you you've mentioned. been involved in some of the most influential players in our game, games that are players that have changed the game, whether it be broadcasting. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to throw a few names at you, and I, and I just if you got a little story for us. Mm-hmm. And it can, this can go anywhere, these stories. They don't have to be cricket. They, you like X-rated ones. Um, well, but no. X-rated. But like, we'll, we'll see. We'll have the E next to our thing. It's like Richie Benno. Yeah. Yeah, he was a hero as a, as a young bloke. And, I mean, the, he had the collar up yep. and had the shirt <laughs> unbuttoned down to the navel. I mean, mm. it, was, uh, it was almost X-rated itself. But Richie had that aura about him, you know, that talk about someone – not being, you know, not having a clue, but just pretending. He always looked like he knew what he was doing, <laughs> and pretty much that carried on through his commentary and every uh, every other part of his life. One of the funniest days ever was in the commentary box down at Bell Reeve in the days when it was the old up on the scaffolding yeah, yeah. Uh, down, uh, you know, whatever <laughs> end it is, and uh, it was a it was just a domestic one day game, and Bill Laurie and Richie are commentating. And we, you know, um, the twelfth man was very popular at that mm. stage. The twelfth man tapes and so on, so everyone knew what the twelfth man had been doing. And yeah, you know, we we every now and then we'd break into the twelfth man doing certain yeah. things, but the, the chew for two hundred and twenty chew <laughs> never came out when Richie was around, <laughs> except Bill is commentating with Richie, and Bill is in the driver's seat. Richie's sort of sitting back, relaxing, <laughs> and bugger me, the score gets the two for two hundred and twenty two. And Bill gives it the, and it's chew for 222. <laughs> and then he starts laughing, you see. And Richie's just sitting back in his seat, leaning back. And you, we had those, yeah, the lip ribbon microphones yeah. that when you weren't talking, you went to put them down. So the other guy knew that he could speak. So you didn't want people speaking over <laughs> themselves. 
So Bill never, ever put the, the microphone down. So you had to sit there and watch him wait till he stopped <laughs> yeah, talking and then jump in. Anyway, so he's given it the chew for 222. And <laughs> he's bloody laughing to himself. We're standing in the back of the commentary box thinking, <laughs> yeah, this, this, this might get again. ugly. And Richie's there just looking down his lip at him, sort of, okay, smart ass, you've got yourself into this, get yourself out of it. <laughs> Bill couldn't commentate for two overs and Richie wouldn't. So there was silence for two overs <laughs> and, it was, and no one was going to say a word. Just to, This is, you know, just going to have to play out. But every time Bill picked up the microphone to speak, he'd start laughing. So he'd have to, he'd have to stop. And Richie just kept looking down his lip at him and just, well, you got yourself into it, get yourself out of it. And that, that was quite uh, one of the funniest days in the commentary box. Did he eventually say something, uh, Richie? He was playing along with the joke, or is he just literally no? No, not well, it impressed? was just yeah. Richie was of that thing that you know you got yourself into this. Yeah. You, I'm not going to help you. <laughs> yeah. I'm not necessarily complaining or criticising, <laughs> but you started this. You <laughs> find a way to get through it. Well, but mate, not long after there's that famous clip of Tony Gregg, and they took the obligatory, you know, the the, the TV coverage in the 80s and 90s. They'd find a beautiful woman in the crowd and take a shot, and Tony Gregg couldn't help himself. He said something about it, and then there was a pause, and then Tony Gregg's turned to Bill Laurie to say something, and Bill's taken Richie's advice hmm. and gone, "Well, you got yourself into this, pal. You get yourself yeah, out of it." Exactly. So. I'm not helping you. <laughs> <laughs> Another one, and everyone's wants to know about this man, no matter what era you played in, is the great DK Lilly. Yeah. The first time I, I played against Dennis, I mean, he was quick, but he was wild. You know, he had that, the, the wild running yeah, with the yeah. elbows going across yeah. his body. And <laughs> when it clicked, it was awesome. Yeah. In between time, you know, he'd probably only click one or two balls and over. And then, you know, he was all over the, the shop. And I went on a tour, a second 11 tour to New Zealand with him after his first season. I'd played a couple yep. of seasons of first-class cricket. And so I hadn't seen a lot of him. I'd played against him twice, but I didn't know him much as a, as, as a guy. And we got over to New Zealand and the Australian team was in South Africa on a tour at that stage. And um, so I got to know Dennis quite well over the six weeks we were in, in New Zealand. He, he's a little bit younger than me and very, he at that stage was very naive and we pulled a few stunts on him and he fell for every one of them, you know. And, you Such know, as? How do you, how do you pull a stunt? You, take, you take it to that different spot all the time. See, it's not yeah. me as a wicket keeper. I, I'm not sure we got long enough to tell, tell <laughs> this story, but <clears throat> basically we were in, in Christchurch practicing at the start of the, mm. the tour. So we've a couple of days, we'd train in the morning, come back and have lunch at the, at the hotel. And I was sitting on a table of the older players, even though I was one of the younger players, because I'd played against them for a mm. few years and I knew them. Graham um, Watson w was one of them. Dave Renneberg from New South Wales was another and um, Jeff Davies from New yeah. South Wales. I, I knew those guys well. So and Graham Watson worked for the Carline Breweries in in Melbourne. So at lunch, at the first day, he ordered a bottle of wine. And when the waiter brings it over, he sniffs it and tastes it. Yeah, that'll be fine. So we would go around the table and it's my turn, you know, a couple of days later and I buy, buy the, the wine and so the waiter comes over and I sort of smell the wine and taste it. Yeah, that'll be fine. And sitting right behind me on the next table was Dennis Lilly. And he goes, oh, oh, you'd be a toff, wouldn't you? <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? And I said, well, he said, well, what all that stuff with the sniffing and the... I said, look, I'll have you know that I used to be a, a wine taster for McWilliams Wines. Yeah. So pull your head in. So he pulled his head in. So <laughs> anyway, 
cut a long story short, the next day I'm sitting on, on his table and he said, but don't you work with Coca-Cola? Hmm. And I said, yeah, I do. But you said you were a wine taster. Yeah, I got poached to Coca-Cola. I'm, I'm a Coke taster now. And then you could see him sort of look at me and he was a bit, he was a bit scared to say something by this stage. And I said, you don't think they send the, the Coke out without someone tasting it, do you? And he said, gee, that must be a tough job. And I said, yeah, it's not as tough as, you know, the trouble when, when I go away playing cricket for a few days or a few weeks and come back, I'll, I've lost my palate. Mm. And I passed a bad batch and you know, I got into a bit of strife and they put me on the returns and that's a really bad job, you know, where you've got to taste the... <laughs> so he's taken all this in, you see, and, I, and, oh, no. and then, you know, it led to... I knew what he did. He worked with the Commonwealth Bank as a teller and I just said to him, well, what do you do? And he said, I work at the Commonwealth Bank as a teller. And mind you, I'm 21 at this stage. And I said, oh, I used to work in the bank. And he said, oh, really? Yeah, I worked at the Commonwealth Bank, but I got into a bit of strife. I, I sort of borrowed some of the money one day, which, you know, is a bit frowned upon. But <laughs> luckily, the uh, my father was the bank manager and he sorted it all out. So I went to the other guy and said, mate, i got a bloke here who believe anything we tell <laughs> So we, we set up a real sting over about three days and we, we got him. From that day onwards, he never believed anything that anyone ever told him. So he went from the most naive to the most cynical bloke over a period of about a week. <laughs> but could bowl a bit. He could, could bowl, bowl and you just want him on your side. Exactly. A bit more of a modern taste now. Uh, Ricky Ponty. Yeah, I saw Ricky, I reckon he was about 16 and you yep. just thought, wow, this kid is something special and really serious. And he was playing like an experienced, you know, 10-year you yeah. know, experienced international cricketer as a as a 16-year-old. He was in a class of his own. He, he was the best young player I reckon I'd ever seen at that, uh, yep. that point. Yeah, he's... Uh, everyone's got a story about the first time they say Ricky Ponting and nothing really diverts from... Wow, the word wow. wow. What about wow. Shane Warne? Was the word wow? Came no, to you? funny, you know, Shane didn't think of himself as a cricketer initially. He thought of himself as a footballer mm. and cricket was sort of what he did in the, in the summer. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden football was sort of taken out of the equation for him. And, and you know, initially he, he wasn't anything special. He was better than average. But I'd seen, you know, and, and Shane would have been probably 18 or 19 before I, before I saw him probably about 18, and I'd seen a lot of 16, 17, 18-year-old kids over a long period of time bowling that stuff, and they were much better than, than Warney, but they never went anywhere because they didn't have the mind that, yeah. that goes with it. He's a gambler. Warney was a gambler. So he had the gambler's mentality, and he had confidence. He backed himself. He was really good with numbers. And I think that's a special sort of mentality and a special sort of mind. You know, I remember talking to him years later about, you know, how did you get into cards, for instance, because he was a professional, mm. you know, card player. And he just talked about when he was a kid, you know, they played a lot of cards and he just got comfortable with cards. And he said, I just remember cards. I remember the cards that are being played. I know what everyone's put down. So it's a hell of an advantage to have if you're in a game of cards and you know what's already gone. Mm. That was a was a different mindset. I remember having a conversation with Murilithran um, in in Sri Lanka when I was with the Indian team. We were on a tour then. It rained for much of the tour, and we had a lot of time off. And so I used to find an excuse to go and talk to him about spin bowling, and particularly about bowling in in the subcontinent. 
because I reckon I could learn something because mm. he was doing something different from that anyone else had ever done. And it was obvious very soon in, in those conversations that, you know, this was his strength. You know, the mind mm. was yeah. his strength and that was Warney's strength was the, was the mind. And I, I saw a kid in Pakistan when I, I worked at their National Cricket Academy for a while and he was Muralitharan. He was better than Muralitharan. You know, technically he was better, a better bowler than mm. Muralitharan. But you just knew, let him play. You know, you could play a hundred blokes who could bowl as well as Muralitharan and they wouldn't get 700 wickets between them because they didn't have the yeah. mind to go with it. Mm. Over a couple of, you know, sessions in Sri Lanka on that tour, talking with him about off-spin bowling and how you bowl the Dusra, because I was trying to throw it in the nets to give the guys a bit of practice, but I couldn't get anything on it. Mm. And Murali said, show me your grip. And I showed him the orthodox off-spinner's grip. He said, no, no, you'll never work with that. He said, you've got to start with the broken wrist. You've got to lock yeah. that wrist, then you'll be able to do it. Mm. And from then on, I was fine. But technically, it breaches just about every <laughs> law that's ever been around, you know, illegal delivery. But when you got up close, and I, I stood right as close as I could get to him at the nets and watched him bowl, and it was his forearm that was the strength of his yeah. bowling, mm. the amount that that could rotate, mm. obviously you have to unlock the the elbow to be able to do that. But technically, I don't think he threw him. If you're going to run up and throw, you wouldn't throw it like that. No. Mm. Because for most people, it wouldn't work. And whilst there was a lot of criticism, a lot of there's an asterisk around mm. his record, I don't think there should be because his mind was the strength of his bowling mm. and his ability to work out batsmen. And, you know, I remember him telling, you know, talking about having none for 100 so often when he bowled but he then finished up with 520 because he just knocked the tail over every time. Yeah. He just. You believe in himself, never lost that belief no. in himself. Um, a quick one before we go, or not so quick, don't want to pass it by, but uh, last night in Sydney, you had another Chapel Foundation mm -hmm. uh, dinner, raised a stack of money, upwards nearly half a million dollars again. Fantastic. Uh, I don't know where you're at with overall what you've raised, but um, raising funds for awareness for youth homelessness in Australia. How satisfying something like this is, yeah, is it for you? Yeah, it's been really satisfying. I mean, last night was hugely successful. Again, you know, around the, the half a million. It'll take us over five million um, raised wow. and we support seven charities on the front mm. line. We're not a front line charity. We raise the money and we give it to the people who know what to do with it. Mm -hmm. we're, we're pretty strict about, you know, what they're doing. We want to know what they're doing with it. We don't just give them the money and say, we well, go and do what you like. So we do talk to, with them about what they're using the money for. And so they have to convince us that, you know, their, their request is, is better than the next yep. charity's request. Um, but yeah, you know, when we started, Darshak Mater is the chairman of the, the foundation and Dar, Darshak, I had worked with at the LBW Trust before, before that, the learning, uh, learning for a better world which was raising money for, uh, underprivileged kids in, in cricket playing countries, but when Darshak stepped down from LBW Trust and, um, you know, he had a, had a bit of a break, he said, oh, we've got to do something in the chapel name. And I said, no, we don't. <laughs> and he said, no, you should, you know, we mm. have to. And Darshak's not an easy man to say no to. So, you know, over two or three conversations, I gave up and said, oh, okay, well, so you said, w what, what do you think, you know, should be the, the cause? Mm. And uh, I said, well, it's got to be in Australia. It's got to be for young people. And at that stage, I was working with Cricket Australia in Melbourne and I was living at East Melbourne just with the Fitzroy Gardens as my front yeah. lawn. 
And I used to go into the gardens and exercise every morning and I'd walk through the gardens to work every day. And I was appalled at how many people slept rough in the, yeah, in, yeah. in those gardens in, in the middle of winter. And I, I saw a kid one day, a young person one day, and the profile, it could have been my youngest son. And I just thought, well, you know, there for the grace of God, it. it could be anyone sleeping in there. And, and I'm glad we chose that cause because it resonates with, with people and, and in a country as wealthy as ours, the fact that we've got 120,000 people without a roof over their head and about 45,000 of them are under, you know, 30 odd years of age mm. and a growing demographic of females. To think that a young person feels safer on the streets than going home is frightening. Yeah. Nobody really chooses to, to do it. It, it. It happens to them. Mm. And, you know, I thought when we started, if we could make the difference, you know, put one life back together, it'd be worthwhile. Thankfully, you know, we're, we're impacting positively hundreds of people every, every year. And, you know, it's, it's a big task. Uh, you know, we're a fully volunteer charity. Um, so we don't pay anyone. We don't pay any uh, rent or anything. So pretty much all the money that we raise goes to the, mm. to the cause. And that's probably the proudest thing of the whole, whole lot that, um, everything we raise goes to the, the cause. So, uh, it's always a hell of a thing leading up to the, to the annual dinner, just putting it together and, and, you know, a volunteer group doing it and to be so successful. Yep. I mean, last night was just the, the Chapel brothers were the, you know, the, the main show. I thought it'd be like the Marx brothers, but it was mm. probably, <laughs> it was probably more like the three stooges, okay. but, um, <laughs> you know, we, uh, we had a lot of fun and, Good. and it was very successful. And you agreed with each other at the end? No, 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 no. We, we didn't agree at the start and we don't agree at the end, but. We we have a lot of fun doing it. <laughs> and how can people support? Um, go on the the Chapel Foundation website. Um, you know, we'll take money. Any yeah. any money will be uh, well received. We we did the sleep out a few weeks ago, and uh, now the the dinner's the the big function of of the year. But yeah, look, yeah, just go onto the Chapel Foundation website and uh, donate some some money because it is going to a really good cause. Yep. Well, we're going to put the the link in the episode notes of this particular Thank episode you. of Willow Talk, and um, yeah, that wraps up this edition of Willow Talk. Greg Chapel, thanks so much uh, for the chat and covered some ground there, but really appreciate your time. Pleasure, Adam. Thank you. Hads, see you next week. Been outstanding. See us.